0: Uh, been back in England for, for two weeks now. My journeys. These uh, these journeys are are not sought after. They are uh, all on invitations. I was invited to the United States, and then to New Zealand, then to Australia, then to Thailand. And this was three months of meeting Buddhists in these different countries. traveling Uh, this is a special uh, situation I've met where a Buddhist monk you are you're not just seeing the ordinary side of the United States or New Zealand or Australia or even Thailand uh, you always get a privileged view I tend to only meet Buddhists so, as far as the United States go I'm, other than my own family which are not Buddhist <laughs> I meet uh, I meet American Buddhists New Zealand Buddhists Australian Buddhists and people in these countries that are interested in Dhamma of course are, are usually quite reflective and have very good intentions so, I meet what I would regard as the cream of the crop. The kind of views that generally the, the, the stereotypes of Australians and Americans and that, that the British have, you know, <laughs> I don't, those kinds, I don't usually meet. I haven't seen a kind of stereotyped Australian, I've hardly met one. Most of them are either Asian or Buddhists, or Australians who are interested in meditation. And meeting, always uh, having these opportunities to meet with people interested in Buddhism, the, the problem of race, nationality, social position, all these uh, I have to know, Importance in these meetings. You're not. you not meeting. You're not discussing culture or or uh, social problems or any of the political views. Any of this. You're meeting for a common interest in Dhamma or in realizing the truth, seeking the truth. So whether it's in Thailand or in Britain or the United States, wherever it's uh, is really the the same quality of person usually that you meet, <coughs> and transcending the the gender of the body or the or the uh, class, race, nationality. Just like at uh, Amaravati uh, monastery near Hamilton, there, there. <coughs> people come there. Like on a Sunday, you have these uh, meetings where many, maybe Sri Lankan or Thai, Cambodian, Lao people will come along with the Europeans. So then you, But we're all there for the, for good reasons: for doing good, for skillfulness. So the particular problems of misunderstandings, preferences due to culture and ethnic uh, conditioning, does no one really seem terribly important in a situation like that. So this is a reflection uh, for you to see a way of, say, transcending or getting beyond the, the, the conditions that are always fraught with problems. And the problems that the world faces now in, uh, everywhere are due to very much attachments to cultural views, political attitudes, ideals, political ideals, religious ideals, prejudices, biases, views, opinions that human beings hold on to, and then we conflict if you, if you don't share the same view. Point as I do and then we meet then we, we just conflict with each other but when we're here contemplating Dhamma, the way things are then I'm not asking you we're not, we're not here to, to agree have the same opinions about everything but to observe what attachment to opinions what it is the suffering, the the results, they have been attached to a to a viewpoint or an opinion, a good opinion, a bad opinion, whatever uh, position you take. If there is attachment through ignorance, then there's going to be a sense of uh, some sense of unsatisfactoriness, threat, uh, feeling of being threatened, or feeling indignant, or jealous, or envious or frightened anxious worried are the mental states that arise from being attached to things so we're not taking a position that you shouldn't be attached to anything either (laughs) because that's another position but developing the reflective mind means that you begin to observe what attachment is and not saying you shouldn't be attached to anything but to observe attachment, clinging and grasping. And then that is what we call the ability of the human mind to reflect on the way things are. teaching Dhamma then you're not teaching that's why there is no kind of official doctrine doctrinal position in Buddha Dhamma it's not not a we're not starting from a position from a metaphysical position or from a creed or a doctrine of any sort we're not you don't have to accept uh, uh, Buddhist doctrines uh, and believe in them, but the encouragement to reflect on Buddha Dhamma is to look and observe at the way things are, and the clue that, that the Buddha gave us is: I regard the Four Noble Truths as the kind of clue. That pattern there is is the pattern that we begin to observe within ourselves, the suffering, the arising, the cessation, and the realization of non-suffering. To many people in the West, the Buddha, Buddha using suffering as the first noble truth is baffling because you know, people tend to think that that it's a doctrinal position Buddhists believe in suffering and that everything is suffering Now notice that uh, that that isn't what the first noble truth says the first noble truth states a fact that there is suffering it's not a... a a state, a doctrinal position that that everything is suffering. Sometimes in books you hear Buddhism being uh, explained as Buddha taught that everything is suffering, uh, which is a misrepresentation, because that, that is, the Buddha never said everything is suffering from that position. But there is suffering. And psychologically, when you, when you investigate that, it's not to, to, to believe that there is suffering, but a clue, you know, a direction to look at suffering when you're experiencing it, to, to look at your own experience of suffering. Doesn't mean you should be suffering, but we, we, we all suffer, don't we? Does, has anyone here never suffered? I've never been in a group yet of, of human beings. When I'm asked that question, there's never been one person raise their hand. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that this is a common human experience. That. In Thailand, people suffer. The Thai king suffers. He has all kinds of problems, family problems, <laughs> problems just like anyone else. Not to mention, say, uh, say, from the most privileged and fortunate to the most miserable and wretched human beings, suffering is doesn't mean that, doesn't uh, imply that we're... Uh, Due, we don't get out of suffering due to social position or, or wealth or privilege, do we? Because it doesn't, here in Britain you see many people with all the best and still suffering enormously. So suffering is, is to be understood. We, we, we open ourselves to our own suffering, acknowledge it. Now the ignorant human being doesn't doesn't, when as soon as they 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 start suffering they try to get rid of it. Modern society and most people today are seeking happiness rather than trying to understand the nature of suffering. As a modern society and almost everywhere, it's human nature really out of ignorance and not understanding things, then we, we try to find happiness, seeking happiness, pleasure, excitement, all kinds of absorbing uh, experiences that we can have through our senses, through our mind and body. And that's motivated by the desire to get away from the the fears and the boredom and the feeling of of uh, anxiety and worry and unsatisfactoriness of our lives. A city like London, isn't it? It's a city with innumerable opportunities for pleasure and uh, distraction immediate, interesting, fascinating distractions, absorptions to the mind. But that's everywhere now, it's, the, not only in big cities like this, but the ability now for, for just ordinary people, even in remote parts of this country, uh, can find e- distractions, immediate distractions, very quickly, like television and, and also, you name it, there's so many possibilities now to seek happiness, to be entertained, to be absorbed into something else. Because when you're sitting with yourself and there's nothing to do, nowhere to go, what do you feel like? It's really difficult, isn't it, to just be with yourself, with your own body and your mind as is in the moment. Not necessarily because there's anything particularly wrong in the moment or anything, uh, you know, really miserable, but because We've never learned, never uh, practiced restraint and reflection in order to observe the true nature of things. Our life can be merely a a series of uh, running after events, seeking distractions uh, to life, being caught up into the busyness, the... The, all the opportunities that modern life offers. And it's all justified in the society we live in and it's encouraged completely to to distract yourself, to be all a social cause. If you're not just into just sensory hedonism, then there's all kinds of important causes to be allied with. There's so many things wrong with the world, so many so much social injustice, unfairness. Uh, you know, there's pollution and, and uh, corruption. And they, I mean, these are these are real, uh, obvious things that are wrong. We can we can dedicate ourselves towards trying to set them right. But still we're going to suffer, even if we do this, if we don't know what we're doing. If we're not aware of how things really are, then we, we still suffer, even when we're alive with the most noble and, and uh, subtle causes on the worldly plane. Now the human mind, to say, is one that, uh, as I've said before, is a reflective mind. We can contemplate our own existence, in other words. We can look at ourselves, we can look at our feelings. We can ask ourselves, how do I feel? Uh, why do I suffer? Why was I born? These kind of questions, we, these are the questions that, that human beings tend to ask themselves. Why does life have to be like this? We can all imagine life is something better, can't we? And We can all have a vision of, a, of some kind of world, utopian society or place, a paradise where everything is, is uh, right and there's nothing wrong, where everything is good and there's nothing bad. And that's the way it should be. And it should, everything should be right and good rather than wrong and bad. with our minds, we can, we can use our minds like that, contemplating uh, and, and being upset and concerned and threatened and frightened and intimidated and guilt ridden all the emotional uh, complications we create in our lives around just the way things are, because say here in Britain even though there's a lot right there's a lot wrong also in Britain there's a lot that's very good but also there's a lot that's bad In ourselves. We exist in our, you know, just as individual human beings. There is a lot that's very good about us and a lot that isn't. We can see all kinds of flaws and weaknesses, faults, defects in ourselves. We can also reflect on our good qualities. That we maybe we aspire to the good, we we want justice, and we we're tolerant, and we we incline to moral behavior and toward generosity and, and compassion and kindness. And we can see these are, are good good things to do, but we also have very much the 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 tendencies uh, toward the opposite. And then the reflective mind of a human being is our ability to contemplate this, not just pass judgments on ourselves as individual personalities because we're not always what we should be or always good and always right. But even though maybe that ideal, idealistic side of ourselves, we'd like to be perfect and always good and always right. But life also brings us so many opportunities and so many habits, and so many situations don't allow us always to be the best. We find ourselves slipping, degenerating, sliding, backsliding. And then we feel guilty and hate ourselves, we create a, a complexity of the mind. But this can be reflected on too. Now, reflection is non-judgmental. We're not, we're, not, uh, we're not criticizing or judging the qualities of our minds comparing one, one thing is better than another or how things should be, but we're observing that this is the way it is, that, that this confusion we feel or guilt or, or uh, remorse or fear or greed or hatred or whatever, that it is, say, it, it is impermanent. You're reflecting on the fact that, that it's conditioned, it's, it's impermanent, it's not an absolute. And yet if you don't reflect on the nature of your mind, you can go around with assumptions about certain faults, flaws, weaknesses in your character as being kind of absolute problems that you have. There's a, the ability to grasp a view of oneself as being a certain type or a certain stereotype or a certain <coughs> quality. The assumption that, that, that you're that way on a kind of permanent basis lie. that assumption is made through the grasping of a view that I am somebody who has, a, who has faults or weaknesses. Here in England, we're very—we tend to dwell very much on our faults. We tend to to uh, exaggerate our faults and weaknesses. You know, There's a kind of national uh, habit. We're, we're trying to get people to recognise their good qualities, people find that quite difficult. If I gave you a piece of paper, a pencil right now, to write down all all your virtues. I think you'd have more trouble writing anything than if i had write down all your faults. All the things you've done wrong. We <laughs> wouldn't have enough time, would we, this evening? <laughs> Why is that? Why do we why do we are so identified with the, what we've done wrong in life, and the uns, the the, 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 uh, the faults and the weaknesses that we feel that we have? Why are we so threatened and, and worried and anxious and frightened by by this? Just ask it, I'm not not trying to. To say that you shouldn't feel this way, but this is a common human problem. Not, not just a problem with me or with one of you, but all human beings. When I was in Bangkok a couple of weeks ago, I was giving a talk to a group of people um, and they say the majority were women. There may be several hundred uh, very few men but a lot of women. I gave kind of formal uh, talk and then I sat uh, and talked with these people for about two hours They were just asking questions. and during this talk i was I was uh, one of the problems that people have in Thailand is that they 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 have uh, what they call a sense of being offended easily. Noitai. <laughs> of so I was, I was saying, I, was, I wasn't accusing them of this, but I was saying, just describing my own experiences of, of uh, being someone who uh, understands that problem, of one who uh, can be easily offended. So I was mentioning this as a, my own tongue, rather than saying it was theirs. And the, uh, and how to how I worked through, say this using this feeling that when I was a child, it, I was called a, a very sensitive boy. This meant that I was easily offended as a child. <laughs> 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 I took things very seriously and very personally, and uh, could uh, misinterpret all kinds of things very easily to feel offended by them. And it is, Kind of suffering. Well, uh, many people have this problem, so when talking about it, uh, reflecting on it, not as a no longer from a position of being a personal failure a fault that I have, but how to take something like that, say that always gives us a lot of suffering in our lives, and that we all, that's, a, that's tremendous suffering to be someone who's offended by life. Because there's always something around that can offend you, isn't there? I'm sure I'm not the only truly sensitive human being in this room. (laughs) uh, (laughs) There's a lot to be offended by, actually. If you've seen life very much from a view of being somebody, a person. I mean, from being... Uh, uh, belonging to a certain class or a nationality or being male or female or being uh, European or American or Thai or being, there's always something that some somebody is going to say something that can sound offensive to us. So that when you reflect on this rather than just trying to suppress and pretend that nothing bothers you and that you're not and, and just try to Suppress your feelings. You actually say the way of, of looking at it as dhamma is to go to the very feeling itself, to really recognize the feeling, and to to stay with it, to to accept it, to understand it. To understand something is like to really under to get really under it and stand under it and look at it. And, and accept it rather than dismiss it or exaggerate it or, or make a problem about it but to really watch and observe it. So some, now when, when these uh, many, many of these women Thai women were saying well, that's a problem we all have easily offended what can you do about it <laughs> obviously they didn't like it either <laughs> gave them a lot of unhappiness in their lives and misery and yet, yet what could they do about it so contemplating it as Dhamma is one way, a skillful way to make a problem about it as a personal thing is another way like we if we, if we, if from the personal level, we think I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be so sensitive. I shouldn't take things like that. I should be, I should be stronger. I shouldn't. Uh, that, then there's this judgment, is this criticism. This is coming from a personal position of me, of what I would like to be, and what I should be, what I, and 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 then the fact that I shouldn't feel this way I shouldn't be offended so easily I shouldn't be so sensitive Now, know that, that whole way of thinking is is from I am isn't it it's I am this person here this this body this appearance and and uh, and I am this this is what I am and so anything that say insults it criticizes it uh, uh, I would be offended by it. if you said. Buddhist monks are rotten and so forth, be offended if I'm, a, if I'm attached to being a Buddhist monk if, I, if you should insult Americans, I could be offended by that if you should uh, insult Theravadans I could be offended by that if you insult my teacher, Ajahn Chah I'd be offended by that you insult the monastery at Amarabhati Chitra, so I could really be offended by that. You could insult my monks and nuns. You could insult my, my parents. You could insult my family. <laughs> There's so many things that, that one could be offended about. As a person, as an I am, as a personality, if I am this body, this is me, and I am this personality, then I'm set up for being hurt and offended in, through my life. So that, that particular position the Buddha was pointing to as, as ignorant, the view of, of a self, identification with the body, with the feelings, with the perceptions, with uh, volition and consciousness, that identity, if never questioned, never examined with wisdom, then we're set up for life in some way to always be oversensitive, offended, threatened, anxious, and worried by the possibilities also of that. Even when nobody's particularly insulting us, we can we can imagine that somebody might. We can like there's paranoia, you, know, you get into kind of paranoid paranoia problems you, you can think the, uh, the, uh, the uh, fly on the screen is laughing at you. <laughs> One can project all kinds of things onto anything if, if coming from the personality, I am this personality, I am this body. Then we take the first noble truth is there is suffering. And there, say, there is the end of suffering. There is suffering and there is the end, or there is no suffering. And we're not saying, I suffer anymore. We're not, we're not, we're not thinking in terms of I am, but we're noticing suffering. We're not saying, I shouldn't suffer, or I'm a sufferer. And that if I was a normal, healthy kind of man, I wouldn't suffer. And that uh, going on in this vein of I am. But they're, they're pointing to there is suffering. One start open, starts developing the reflective capacity, developing that reflective capacity of observing the suffering arises and ceases. So you began to get to the very root of the problem: the avidya, the ignorance, the basic ignorance, and the assumptions that come from not not knowing dhamma, which means that we all have this this seeming we all we all believe we are personalities, individuals. We have these assumptions: that I am a person, personality, and that assumption is makes it sound like permanently a personality, permanently a certain type of character, permanently a, a, an American, permanently a man, permanently a, a Buddhist monk. When we think about ourselves and make judgments and hold on to views, then we the assumptions are that we are always like this. But when we reflect on it as Dhamma we see that the suffering that we are having right now is impermanent. If I'm feeling offended by the way what somebody said to me, if I go to the actual feeling I am aware that if what has arisen it ceases, it doesn't stay, it's not permanent. And by doing that then one is, has insight into the true nature of things. The assumption of being a kind of permanent personality falls away, no longer seems real. It's no longer something that one believes in. One no longer inclines to make assumptions from the view of I am a person. More and more one inclines to seeing there is suffering and there is no suffering. Because suffering arises, it ceases. So in our ability to reflect and be mindful of the way things are, where its awareness, we turn to the suffering, and we're aware of it, and we're also aware that it ce- when it ceases there is no suffering. Not that there's never going to be any suffering again, but there's awareness of, the, of this moment as no suffering. If we, if we understand suffering, then we realize no suffering and that's what the, the Four Noble Truths are pointing to just that, just that alone is very simple but it's very difficult to see for us because we're so conditioned, so complicated that we're not simple are we we're complicated kind of creatures we create all kinds of complexities around ourselves and, and the society we live in. That's trying to be simple, like monastic life. It's very simple. Being a Buddhist monk, it's very simple life. But most of us are very complicated. So we end up complicating uh, and yet the the continuous reminder of monasticism is simplicity. And it is not, we're not saying that the form, say monastic form, just the appearance is one of not emphasizing personality. We're not into kind of emphasizing our individuality. In our, our nationality, our class, our education, our Social qualifications or careers or abilities or any of this is when when you kind of shave your head, put on a a, a robe, you're you're relinquishing all that. You're not you're not trying to emphasize personality or individuality. So the form is a sim- very simple form of the Buddha, shave your head rather than Maybe have a more kind of nicer hairstyle, and uh, it's very simple. Just, it's very simple. I shave my head every day. Just with these the kind of uh, super razors that they have with double blades. I've really enjoy it. <laughs> I feel slightly. Uh, dirty. If I just let it go for a couple of days, Get a little stubble up there. <laughs> Very simple. We don't have to, we don't have to have barbers or or stylists, As <laughs> Buddhist, my Buddhist nuns, the same thing. Just shave it all. Wear a robe. Easy, kind of like in this country. They it looks like we're wearing uh, curtains or bed sheets. <laughs>
1: Well, it looks like it's just a big,
0: square sheet. A very simple kind of clothes. Simply, we, we eat just alms food, what people give us in an alms bowl. So that we, very simple, whatever people present us. So, so life as a Buddhist monk is is to is, to, uh, is, is a simplification of, of life. It's much more simple than a layperson's life. But we're still very complicated. But this is, this is what, how we reflect on it. We, because the simplicity of the life allows us to begin to see the complications that we make around life. we have that reflection if, we're, if you're in a very complicated society like this one there's not much there, there's, there isn't much of a reflection for it is there? You might have ideals of wouldn't it be nice to live out in the country uh, kind of uh, thorough type of ideals of going back to nature and living uh, by the shore of a lake listening to the to the sound of the water, the running, the sound of the river, the wind, we have poetry, all kinds of, of uh, longings towards, say, simplicity. But in very practical ways, I mean we have these ideals, but in practical ways we, we don't have much uh, form available, for example. <clears throat> We also need to learn to accept our society for the way it is. We can we can sit here and feel very critical uh, about what's happening to Britain: the population, the, the motorways, the um, all the traffic in London, the pollution, the um, uh, stress of life, and and the crime, increasing crime rate, and the crowded prisons, and the, and the ethnic problems, and the, and the national front, and the this and that, we can sit here and go through a whole uh, uh, list of things that are wrong, and going wrong, or going off in this society. but also say if we're not going to suffer from it we need to accept it for what it is. Acceptance doesn't mean we approve of everything that they're doing but acceptance means that we are willing to accept the way it is meaning that we're not just going to react and criticize it out of ignorance, out of a of view of, uh, and comparing it to an ideal of what we would like it to be or a memory of how it used to be. In our ability to reflect, then we, can, we begin to accept our country with, its, with all its flaws and weaknesses. Just like when we reflect on ourselves, we have to accept ourselves the, the way we are, with all our weaknesses and faults, too, as well as our, our good points. We're not just trying to, to, to look at one side and reject the other, or exaggerate one over the other. But we need to, if we're going to really uh, not suffer, we must learn to accept the way we are. The kind of character we have, the, the tendencies, the, the, the uh, faults and weaknesses, the, the things we've done wrong in the past, and the fears and anxieties about the future. Acceptance, as I said before doesn't mean we approve or we don't we're just dismissing it all or just saying everything's okay nothing wrong with me but acceptance is the ability of the human mind to to uh, bear with the way it is without wishing it were something else wishing it were otherwise We're not creating a problem onto it. In other words, we 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 say, say, if you feel anger right now, if you should feel angry. Maybe you don't want to be angry right now, but if you want to see the end of anger, you have to accept the anger you're feeling right now. doesn't mean that you like being angry, but it means, and, it, and I'm not saying that it's all right to be angry and it's good to be angry, but to accept the anger you're feeling right now means that you can let go of it. And you, Anger is impermanent. It's not self. And you, then you have that insight into anger and the cessation and the end of anger from your own direct insight and experience of it. Direct knowledge of it anger and the end of anger now we contemplate that this society here British society is a collection of individual human beings like ourselves we all we, we all ha- have. I mean, though know, we're all individuals and different in so many ways, we all have the, the same problem of suffering. There is suffering from Queen Elizabeth down to to a tramp at Charing Cross. There's suffering in there. Uh, in, you know, this is what we have. Say. in Thai, they have a saying: "Brothers and sisters in suffering, brothers and sisters in old age, sickness, and death." This is a way of of, of conveying our common ground. So brothers and sisters in suffering, brothers and sisters in old age, sickness, and death. This, is, this includes all of us, doesn't it? It doesn't. It's not specifying a certain group. It, that's, we're, we're looking at a common problem that we all share when we do that then we're not emphasizing say certain other factors such as ethnic origins or or masculinity or femininity or, or uh, class nationality age appearance And this includes all beings, doesn't it? Everywhere, from from this country, European, Asian, African, wherever. All brothers and sisters in old age sickness, death, brothers and sisters in suffering. Now that might sound, I mean, if you you want to put it in more positive terms, we'd like to say we're brothers and sisters in, say, in the ultimate sense of union and oneness, wholeness immortality. But as the experience of life that we're all sharing is that we've all been born into these separate forms so we feel very much this this sense of being an individual being and being somehow separate and alienated from each other. Even though ultimately we're not the appearance, and while we feel life more and more, our experience of life out of ignorance tends to emphasize this alienated feeling of separation, of me uh, as opposed to you. So we can, we can look at ideals of, of, of ultimately we're one, but also to begin to look at the common ground of, of life experience of old age, sickness and death. and We all get old, get sick and we'll all die. We're all going to experience the loss of loved ones before we die. Most human beings, we all have to live and watch and experience the death, the separation of those, say, parents or people we love. That's common human experience wherever you go we all have to experience uh, just the the feeling of being offended or threatened insecure, uncertain wanting to be liked, wanting to be loved by others and and the the feelings of of threat or fears of not being lovable or not being likable and all this we share, this is these are common human. These are common human suffering wherever you go. It's not just my problem, and, you, and no one else has it. We're envious. We we envy each other. We look at people who are who are who we think are better, better looking, more m- more clever. Uh, people that they that. Say, that Others like better, have more opportunities, more advantages than we do, and we tend to feel envious, jealous of them. That's common. Brothers and sisters in envy and jealousy. <laughs> Fear, isn't it? This is a frightening experience. Being a human being, and when you, it's, uh, we're we're very vulnerable, easily damaged kind of bodies. Well, these these bodies are really easily bruised and easily damaged. There's a lot to fear. In, in naturally is not because you're neurotic something wrong with you but there is there is a lot to be to be frightened of in life and then there's uh, and, there, and we recognize the possibilities even though right now that we, we say oh everything's alright there's no kind of bandits uh, nobody's pounding at the door nobody's shooting bullets into the room uh, there's no tanks rolling through the streets there's nothing to fear right now but we can imagine you know all kinds of potential things to worry about in the future of just say physical being attacked or being molested or harmed physically and then emotionally we're very vulnerable so fear is, is a it, it, human beings were, we, if, if you notice the animal kingdom is a realm of fear isn't it that animals are fear conditioned creatures and just living in the forests or in the jungles, you observe just the wildlife how it just is constantly in this state of, of fear and trying to because it's, it, the law of the jungle is survival of the fittest you've got to look after yourself because you at any moment there's something uh, some other creature that might come and attack you and kill you eat you and we also can be attacked and we can be eaten for fortunately cannibalism is out of fashion that we don't it's not particularly something I worry about being eaten by somebody, and there's, there's in, in Britain they've managed to get rid of the bears and other creatures that might want to eat me, but I certainly quite could easily be attacked just walking, say going back to the monastery this evening, could be a car accident or something, these are possibilities that we all recognise within the, the, before this body dies, the possibilities of being diseased or mutilated, hurt in some way, and then emotionally being offended or bruised or shattered by life's experiences. So when we, because we can think and we can remember, then we are also Feel we create anxiety around us, worry and anxiety, pursue our lives. Now the way out of suffering then is not by trying to build a fortress around ourselves and drop out of the society and live in a, in a place where we'll never be hurt by anyone or be in any kind of physical danger. We're not trying to make ourselves insensitive. In other words, trying to, to make ourselves dull and insensitive, hiding away from all possibilities. But in meditation, insight meditation allows us to be fully sensitive through developing this, our reflective capacities. Because more and more you you realize, ultimately, there's nothing to be frightened of. That we can bear with the experiences of life, no matter what they might be. There's no point in worrying about the future, the possibilities of pain and misery in the future. Because then we create misery in the present. So the way out of suffering is to be mindful in the present and then the future will take care of itself. Somehow when we're mindful then we we have the ability to cope with the problems of life that we have through this lifetime. People have amazing capacity for adaptation and endurance. All kinds of things that, that we think we couldn't bear, we can, when we have to. But we can be completely neurotic and confused before anything really bad happens to us, just by thinking about the possibilities. And not only is the future going to be uh, just uh, more and more a worry for us, but the present is destroyed, the present opportunity to to realize non-suffering. So this this is a way of contemplating and reflecting on life. What I said this evening is for reflection and contemplation, not a not to be uh, uh, grasped or discarded, but to be contemplated, consider it. And as you begin to look at yourself, not from the crit, not with the critical faculty, but with the reflective mind, more and more you you realize these truths will help you to realize non-suffering, freedom from fear, freedom from desire, freedom from delusion. Is the great uh, opportunity we have as human beings. This is what a Buddha is. What Buddha means when when we when we praise the Buddha, like in the the beginning of this evening's meeting. Not just kind of praising a dead prophet or a dead sage, or uh, praising some some force, external force out there, like a god, but remembering that ever-present Buddha that we can take refuge in when we're mindful, when we're aware when we're awake and seeing Dhamma, rather than caught in the habitual tendencies that come out of ignorance and being offended and and frightened and worried about ourselves as personalities and individuals. So I offer this uh, for your reflection for this evening and we can have a, if you'd like to just stretch your legs for a a minute, you can have a sitting. the time is open to discussion. So for example, with, say when you start, say, we're going to sit now. If you observe just what you're, you're doing, like what's in your mind, or you observe the body, it's been, to, to look and recognize, just uh, see. Like, like often times meditation can become a kind of compulsive thing, and you don't see what you're doing. You just you just develop a kind of meditation habit. When you reflect on it, you can think because if meditation just becomes a kind of habit. And it, it um, might be a good habit, but it's still a habit. <laughs> and so it uh, is not going to be enlightened. You're not going to get enlightened through through it. So that the the. Uh, observing that, the feeling of, say having to do something or just what you observe you're going to just observe the way you're feeling I go rather than, than you know, think about things like, I use thought more or less to just remind myself to look, how do I feel right now and I, I found, like I used to have a certain kind of driving quality in my meditation, and uh, I wasn't aware of it. I started reflecting on it, just seeing the results of that. Of just trying to use the will, and and uh, uh, that was that you're always having this sense of, of a kind of despair in your practice. you know, always feeling that somehow you, you know, you. Disappointment or despair, because the uh, because you're coming from that place of trying to gain and get something, which uh, some which you think is right. You know, you said you've got to develop something. You've got to get rid of your defilements, and you've got to develop samadhi, develop concentration. And from that, those attitudes, you see, then then we we can become very obsessed. Obsessive meditators doesn't mean we don't have to develop, or we don't, but to recognize just that, that alone for what it is. Uh, using the body a lot because we we tend to have so many ideas. We're educated, you know. People in here are educated people, literate people, so that we. We, we have a lot of knowledge and ideas and thoughts in our heads so it's always good to reflect more on the body like the feeling the sensation of the body like how does it feel like in your <coughs> heart or in the trunk of your body Just to bring your attention to to the body then you'll then you won't be always caught up in the thinking process bringing your attention more here rather than remaining you know, going around with your ideas and thoughts. How do you get from a stage of absorption to a stage of uh, insight? Is it something you get automatically or is it something you've got to cultivate? uh, uh, In other words, the the problem I have is, uh, (laughs) um, is getting absorbed. Uh, which carries into my daily life and um, I found it rather frightening. Um and I'm wondering whether we can um, sort of transcend that I'm mean, going to say it is a transcend from the state of absorption to the state of insight well that's where you the, like the re- reflection on the noble truth Bring your attention just to, to that, to that just that very kind of doubt or anxiety in your mind. Because, like you're, you're you're bringing attention to the here and now, the way it is. So if you if you're uncertain, then you're aware of uncertainty, and more and more you you're just accepting these these conditions, these the next the forms of suffering. There's so much. Say, despair anguish in our lives or doubt uncertainty confusion that we're always trying to get rid of by having certainty and, and clarity and you know all this so that that the by by going to those very feelings of confusion uncertainty doubt despair by accepting them as they are, as, fe- as you're feeling that, you're noticing the way it is, then, then you'll uh, have insight into the true nature of your mind, which is peaceful. The, the, the irony of it is that despair, if you really see despair, will take you to peacefulness. Where we think, we, in order to be peaceful, we have to get rid of despair. But if you if you begin to understand how your mind works, more and more you'll feel you'll be able to use that your, your, these negative states uh, as the very conditions that you can that you accept, and and by accepting you're letting go of them. They're impermanent. When you and then you're mindful of of the feeling rather than just reacting and fighting it off. Then you'll find uh, peacefulness, true peacefulness. And when the mind, then and that's the true nature of the mind. As you as you let go of the conditions of your mind and the and the habit of reacting through grasping and all that, then <coughs> then more and more you you find that, that true peacefulness of the heart, other than. The, mental conditions you create out of ignorance I've I've done a lot of practice with with despair (laughs) and doubt because those were were great uh, because there was so much resistance to them in the early part of my monastic life just trying to, to wipe them out with the will with suppressive will and then this doesn't work, you, you know, when you, you can do it for a while, you can kind of create uh, uh, kind of pleasant <coughs> states of mind that you can grasp for a while, but, but they inevitably are disappointing and, and the, the sense of, real, of being truly at ease and at peace with yourself and the world only comes through... That wisdom through seeing, and, and that wisdom is 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 through understanding the nature of suffering, and that, that there isn't any suffering, because when you when you've let go, then then there's no suffering. But the, the suffering you feel is due to to grasping or attachment. The try it. it's like when you really like like just mental confusion or doubt. It do not have to be kind of great anguish, despairing states, but just this little things. The more you kind of just look at that and accept it, and, and be patient with it. Don't come from the idea of if you accept it then it'll go away, because then you want to get rid of it. You have to be willing to be just very patient and accepting and understanding, and then what arises, ceases, the impermanent. And then, more and more, you begin to have an insight into into uh, true peacefulness, which is an indestructible peaceful, not dependent upon things being nice around you. I mean, you, this peace is is isn't, isn't dependent upon uh, conditions being uh, good or tranquil or serene, it's the peace that that you abide in more and more, even in the midst of uh, external noise and confusion. I have a related question, i not even a question. I've been filled with a certain amount of despair the last couple of weeks, as I'm sure we all have over the events in China, and the tremendous sort of suffering. How does one deal with something like that? Well, uh, use the actual feelings. Because... what happened there is due to, to human ignorance. And... Um, you know, lot like you can see the... Uh, it's a good example of trying to annihilate obstacles. Like you, you just get rid of all the, the students who are causing the trouble as quickly as possible. And that's what we do oftentimes with ourselves. I mean, we we just if we see something we don't like and something that bothers us or we don't understand in ourselves, we just want to wipe it out, go in with a tank and run it over. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, this is very, what's happened in Beijing is just the result of that, that kind of <coughs> mental uh, ignorance. I mean, I could you know, I wouldn't, I mean, one is, uh, I wouldn't be prone to, to annihilating other human beings, but I've certainly been very annihilationist with, with a lot of things in myself. And the thing is that it by doing that, you just make everything worse, you know, like what they've done is going to make, make so many more problems for the, for China, but that we have no control over we, you know if, I, if one could you know if I was in a position where they stop this foolishness, I'd do it but they don't, they won't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, but I can do it here, then I can listen here. Because this is, this is where, uh, I mean, you, you could see it in, you know, in, in anything, in, uh, in the States, where any, any group becomes a problem, you want to just push them down, make them shut up. And this is where, even, uh, but this is, this is where, uh, and that, that what's happened in China is just so, so ordinary, it's really an ordinary human behavior, taken to, to because they're, they're obviously very, they just didn't know what to do. You know, they waited ages before they did anything. You know, they really put up with it for a long time. And then they just went completely berserk. They did it all wrong. Because it, this frustration does that, doesn't it? You, get, you just feel more and more angry, and then you're, then you're more and more heedless, and then you do things, you really do horrible things when you're in that state. So you can, rather than mm-hmm. hating, the, say, the Chinese army or military or whatever for doing that, we, we can we feel compassion because uh, I mean what what's really horrible is that people that have done that have to live with those uh, memories. I mean the saying the people that have died at least you know too bad when what isn't happening that they died but at least they don't have to remember murdering students or murdering others. This is, you know, and that's what's really horrible with life is the the memories you have, doing things like that. I mean, I've never murdered anybody, but before I was a monk I did enough uh, kind of uh, ignoble things to uh, feel miserable about. (laughs) I mean, nothing to the level of kind of murdering people or Robbing banks, but I mean, just just dishonesty and selfishness. You know, what is is bad enough to remember. But I mean, if you've done really, I remember in a, a, one time, in I was in uh, in Laos, and this was before it went communist, and there was a meditation monastery in Bien Chien and they. And the teacher was taking me around, and we were looking at these different meditators in these little huts, and so he took me to the one hut, and there was this, this man, a monk, newly ordained Lao monk, and he'd been in the um, Lao, royal Lao army before, and had been you know, responsible for killing a lot of people. And then he'd left that and had become a monk. And, uh, and it was interesting because this is, he found he, he, he couldn't stand the monastic life because, like living in that particular situation where you're alone in a little hut and you have to live with yourself, all, the, all he could remember were, were the Im- images of the people he'd killed. And they, they just haunted his mind, and he finally, I heard later, he just he ran away, couldn't stand it uh, because of of the uh, resultant karma of having done that. And if he stuck it out, he would have gone transcended it. You know, if he if he determined to to bear that horror, he would have he would have gone got, out of it, but. It was so horrible, he couldn't, he just had to, he, he, he took a, a more expedient way out, which you know, is really not coming to terms with the problem. You just end up probably drinking a lot. and you know, making your mind dull with drugs. It is, this is, like this is a sensitive, human, being human is like this, we have to remember what we do. Therefore, it's very important, and this is what, what they don't teach in the society, is that that they don't say that. So they think that, like, they think you're free to do anything you want. You're a free citizen, you can do what you want, say what you want. And so we do, then we end up doing things that aren't very good, or oh, it can be quite bad, and then we have to live with that memory, because we have the, we have we punish ourselves. In other words, with our even if even if we should commit a terrible crime and and, and, the, and they never catch us, we're never punished by the government. We punish ourselves. We we're the we the judges, ultimate judges. So this is this is how sensitive this, this birth is being human. Very sensitive. We're in line with, with uh, universal intelligence. So I mean, we're, our our lives are not just uh, meaningless, and we can just you know use waste them because it's a you know it's a real opportunity to to for enlightenment for wi- wisdom and enlightenment. But this is but modern society doesn't has forgotten all this. They've, they've forgotten it, almost completely. So they, they emphasize all the wrong things. The individuality and personality and, and uh, the, you know idea, holding on to uh, ideals, ideas that we have without understanding how ev- anything really works, how it actually is. And then we have all these ideas of creating a society where everything is going to be what we want and we never quite make it <laughs> we never, you know, get the society we dream of like you can see now with the Soviet Union this, the, the, the last they're willing to admit doesn't work <laughs> but that's taken a long time, a lot of, you know Humiliating in a way to admit that something you've invested so much of your life and your nation into is it was a it was a pipe dream. It was an ideal that had no foundation for ever working properly. Like with Dhamma, when you're contemplating Dhamma, you're you know how to work with life, with it, with the way life is, which isn't always what how we want it to be. But we can at least, uh, uh, I mean, we're, we with with, uh, with our ability, to, with wisdom, mindless, then we can adapt. We can we can create. We can adapt. We can uh, we're, we're flexible, valuable creatures.